you should hopefully have an outline in front of you uh, there that says a new community. We are looking at Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to verse 15. Now, last year, the, 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 the owner of Facebook, uh, 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 but Michael is wondering, what is that, Facebook? The owner of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, announced to the world that he wants Facebook, uh, this social media platform, to become a new community that brings the world close together, he said. He said his goal uh, was for users to become what he calls secular pastors who would instill a new social purpose in people and restore a sense of community in a fractured world. He's looking around the world, you know, sitting on his billions, as it were, and he sees that the world is very fractured and he wants users to become secular pastors. Well, Mr. Zuckerberg joins a list of people uh, who promises a new society once in a while. Uh, those of you may remember Mr. Cameron once promised us a new big society to mend broken Britain, as he called it. Well, we are still waiting for that, aren't we? We are still waiting for that. Uh, we don't know how long uh, Mark Zuckerberg's effort will last, uh, perhaps longer than Mr. Cameron's effort, which uh, suffered Brexit. Uh, we don't know how long Mark Zuckerberg's effort will last, but what we do know is that there is something in all of us, isn't there? Uh, something in all of us that longs for a new community. Uh, a new community of love, uh, a new community of togetherness, and uh, a new community that is safe from evil around us. You see, that has been the longing of man, actually, since man rebelled against God in the garden. Uh, we were living in a garden under God's care, in God's wonderful community, but we rebelled against him. And since we were evicted from Eden, as it were, we have always longed for new community. Wherever people are, they want to be together. Because, they, 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 because of that Edenic memory, we long to be what we once were. But the truth is that we cannot do this on our own. We can't. Uh, the Bible says the new community we are longing for, whether through Facebook or, or social media platforms or whatever it is, that community we are longing for is actually a real need. But it's not something that we can engineer on our own. It doesn't come from our initiative. It can only come from God himself. And the good news of the Bible actually is that God is already at work to give us this wonderful new community. God is creating a new community in Jesus Christ. That is the message of the scriptures. And here is why this matters for you as you sit here this evening. It matters because if you are trusting in Jesus this evening, you have the privilege of being part of this new community that the world yearns for. You have something that Zuckerberg wants, that Mr. Cameron yearns for, that people around us are yearning for. And it's called the Church of God. The Church is God's new community. And so, my God, this evening, as we go through Mark, verse by verse, as we come to these verses in Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to 15, is to remind you what this new community is and to encourage you to actually take that very seriously. Be thankful to God for being part of this new community if you're trusting in Christ, and to pray for its advancement here on earth, and especially where God has placed us here in Bexley Eve. 
And there's no better place to go to, to, to help us than Ma- what we're looking at this evening. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to 15. Because in this passage, we are seeing, in this passage in front of us, the beginning of God creating a new group of people that will later become known as the church. That's why this passage is so significant. And there are three truths I want to share from this passage, which are in your outline. The first truth we see in this passage is that God is creating a new community in Jesus. In Jesus. Let's, we saw this morning Jesus um, with a great crowd, didn't we, in verse 12. Uh, we, we left him there. Well, he has dealt with the crowd, he has healed people, he has driven away demons. And now Mark tells us that Jesus is going up now onto a new, on, a, on a mountain to build his new team. The work is grown. And he needs to appoint people around him now to help him take forward the work. Let's read on verse 13. And he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him, himself, those whom he desired, and they came to him. Now you need to bear in mind that throughout Mark, uh, there will be a lot of Jesus going up to the mountain. Um, you, you see him at the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, um, in, throughout Mark, you should pay attention to that if you are reading currently through the whole book of Mark, not when Jesus goes up the mountain or, or perhaps is withdrawing to, the, to, to some place that feels like a mountain. Uh, because mountains, really, they are echoing the whole Testament visit of Moses up to the mountain. Uh, and this particular trip Jesus is doing here, uh, as our new Moses, is, is echoing Moses going up to Mount Sinai. You remember in Exodus 19, uh, verse 1 to 25. Uh, Moses going up at Mount Sinai marked a new moment for Israel, isn't it? It was a new covenant moment. And now Jesus is doing the same thing here because Moses went up to Mount Sinai and when he came down, he came down with the, with the law of God and he, he gave that law to the elders. Well, Jesus, if you like, is going up the mountain and as our new Moses summoning these 12 disciples to come to himself. Look at verse 14. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. We need to pause there and we need to note here that the original word for appointed is mad. Jesus is not picking from a pool of people already qualified to be his disciples as it were. No. He's picking these people and making them his disciples. Making them his apostles. His sent one. And we'll come, up, we'll come to that in a moment. But the key thing you need to realize is that he's conferring on them something new. Something they haven't had. This is a process of making something completely different from what has been before. Now the number 12 here is important. It is a symbolic number of organization or community. When you come across the number 12, you, you're already thinking, aren't you? The 12 districts of Solomon. You, you are thinking of the 12 tribes of Israel. You are thinking of the 12 spies. And 12, 12 goes on. It's, the number 12 is going to go all the way to the New Jerusalem in Revelation. When I think of the number 12, I think of it like the chariot registration number. <laughs> because when you register a charity, you need a number, don't you? 
brand you might help us on that. You need a number to show that you are going to legitimate charity. Well, the number 12 is a bit like that. When people recognize, when the people see their 12 disciples, they immediately will know, ah, a new organization now. This is a new group of people. And what Jesus is doing here is reminding us that he's starting a new community of people. This is not just a bunch of people he has put together that will do one job and disappear. No, this is the beginning of something new. Just as Moses, as I've said, called a community of elders at Sinai, this new Moses is starting a new community of people. And what's different about this new community is that it is all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. Because we read there, look at verse 13 again. And he went up on the mountain and called to him, he's calling them to him, those whom he desired, Notice the reference there to him again. And they came to what? To him. And verse 14 goes on to them. He appointed, Jesus appointed the twelve. So that they might be with Jesus. We might read that. So it is all about him. And they are being called to a personal and transforming relationship with Jesus. This group of people will draw their life from Jesus. But notice something also interesting. This call to these twelve is also a call into a relationship with one another. They are being called, as, a, as I said, as a community, to Jesus, and by coming to Jesus, they are now a new group who need to relate to each other. So what we're seeing here, actually, is a formation of the church, so to speak. Now, the church here is not fully into being here, because Jesus has not yet died. And he hasn't yet purchased a new people, love God, so to speak, right there. But this, and the Spirit of God has not yet been poured out here. But we are already beginning to see the formation of this new community that will later be called the church. So we are saying this is a pivotal moment in church history. There are new people being called out by Jesus. The word for church is what? Ecclesia, isn't it? Which means an assembly or called out ones. Uh, it is a community of people who have been called out from a sinful mass of humanity. And this is true for us here in Vexley. It is true for you if you're trusting in Jesus. Because if you're trusting in Jesus this evening, you are now part of this new community. The history that is being made here in Mark chapter 3, 13 to 15, you are part of this. You're part of this history now. You belong to this new community of the twelve. God lives in you now through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's significant as I think about us here, a few of us as we are, because I then realize that the church of God at Bethlehem is special. Because God is not looking at us, even us here this evening, and scratching his head, wondering, look, <laughs> who are these few, you know, 10, 12 people meeting? <laughs> what are they doing there? <laughs> you know, turning to Jesus, who are these guys? Uh, he's not doing that. Uh, he's not scratching his head and he's saying, look, I wonder what Michael is doing here. What about Alice? Who are these guys? No. God is looking at us as individuals and as a new community of Jesus. He's saying, these are my beloved children. I have called them just as I called the twelve, so to speak. They are mine. And this, this means that whatever situation you find yourself in this evening, if you are in Jesus, God 
has made it impossible for you to ever walk alone. You are now in Christ. Now the BBC, <laughs> we love the BBC, don't we? Uh, last year, they reported that there is an increasing trend, actually this is from this year, an increasing trend in Western countries of people choosing to marry themselves. I mean, you're worried about marriage and all the rest of it. I mean, there's a new trend where individuals now in the Western countries who just marry themselves in symbolic ceremonies. And also, also businesses, they are cropping up everywhere, catering for this new trend. This is a new thing now. What motivates someone to say yes to themselves? What motivates them? Well, one expert who has apparently conducted 1,500 weddings says it's all about self-love. Of course it's about self-love. We love experts, isn't it? She says it's all about self-love. We're not surprised there. But she goes on to say that about 80% of people who shed a tear, she says, during their wedding vows, uh, they usually say things like this when they're marrying themselves. I forgive myself. Uh, and I will no longer call myself ugly. That sort of thing. So that's why we're getting married. It's a feel-good thing. And they feel lonely, and so they just marry themselves. Listen, I, I don't even know if the government will... I don't know. The government doesn't believe in marriage, I guess. They'll, they've got a new problem there, I think. If people are marrying themselves, they might demand new rights. Now, listen, look. If you are in Jesus... You're not married to yourself. I know some believers like to think that. Some of us, we've, we, we exist, we know we've come to Christ, but we're trying to live as if we're married to ourselves. But if you're in Christ, you're not married to yourself. You are no longer on your own. You belong to Jesus. Because you're now part of this new community in Christ. So put the weapons of self-effort down. You don't need to prove to anyone or yourself. You don't have to look to the world for your identity. Your identity, if you are in Jesus, is that you have a new life in Jesus. You are now part of this new community of Christ. You are a member of this. And so let the fact that you are in Christ now shape how you live. Because your mission now is to live and share Jesus with the world. And that's our second truth we see here, isn't it? The truth number one is that God is creating a new community in Jesus. The second truth we see here, what's the purpose? Well, God is creating a new community that shares Jesus, that shares Jesus. That's the reason. Uh, that's the reason. The reason Jesus is creating this new community is not only to be with him, we see here, but also so that, the, so that this new community may be sent out to preaching. Let's read on verse 14. Verse 14 says, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might do what? They might be with him. And he might send them out to preach. Now the word for apostle there means here, sent out with a specific purpose. Again, we're going through Mark. You need to be aware of this because this may not be obvious as you read the Gospel of Mark. You need to be aware that Mark uses the word apostle only twice. Here, and I think later on in chapter 6. Mark is, uses that to refer to the 12, of course. The main word, actually, Mark uses to refer to the apostles is just disciples. And he uses that 45 times. 
Why am I saying this? That he says it twice and only 45 times. Well, the reason I'm saying that is because throughout the... We are four gospel portraits of the Lord Jesus. And the mistake we often make is to read Matthew and then superimpose it on Mark. And read John, superimpose it on, 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 on Luke or something like that. You need to take this gospel portrait, first of all, take them seriously on their own and seek to understand what they're trying to communicate. They may be using the same words, but they may be meaning something completely different. And as Mark now uses this word apostle here, his interest is, is that he's more interested in the function. That's quite important. The functions of these 12 men rather than their office. That's why he constantly calls them disciples and only in two places he calls them apostles. And even here as he calls them apostles, he's not really referring to their office actually, he's referring to the Lord Jesus, he's referring to the function to which he has sent them. He's sending them out with a specific purpose. Why am I saying this? I'm saying that in Mark, the 12 apostles actually stand as a representative of all followers of Jesus. Just as Jesus is sending out the twelve, all followers of Jesus, including us here, are now being sent out to share the message of Jesus. He sent them out to preach. He's sending you out to preach. What is the message you are meant to preach? What is the message Jesus expected them to preach? Well, it's in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. They had to preach his message. Let me just remind you this passage we looked at. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The Kairos moment, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. If you like, we can summarize the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as two things. First, God has come to reign as king through the Lord Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand. Two, All of us must turn from sin and trust in Jesus. We must believe the good news that has come through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the good news of Jesus. And that good news is that this new community of Jesus has now been commissioned by Jesus to preach that very good news. And that's the good news we need to be preaching as a church here. That is the privilege we have to be appointed to share. Now, now, a couple of years ago, you may remember that car insurance company, isn't it? Privilege, uh, which ran a series of adverts, and uh, it was being fronted by Joanna Lumley. Uh, the adverts were very interesting. They showed the upper class living nicely uh, in society, and uh, folks hunting, and elegant parties, large mansion, uh, even um, house servants. And then the strap line in the advert says, look, you know, With privileged car insurance, they said, (laughs) you don't have to be this posh to be privileged. Uh, You can just, uh, if you get their insurance, you can live just as posh with those doing fox hunting uh, and elegant parties. That's what I was trying to communicate. Personally, I could never warm to that advert because car insurance has never felt like a privilege. Uh, I have car insurance because I must. And as I think about that, I guess that's how many of us think about sharing Jesus with others. We don't really think sharing Jesus is a privilege. We, we see it more like an impossible obligation, isn't it? 
But I want you just to pause there and think about these disciples here, the twelve. Okay? How do you think they are feeling as Jesus appoints them now to be his disciples to share the good news? Think about what they have seen. Think about what they have heard already. The blind see. Demons flee. Jesus has wrestled Satan for 40 days and won. The Father has proclaimed. John the Baptist has testified to him. Think about how they feel now to see this Jesus tell them, look, I want you to be my spokespersons now to share my message. I think they feel very privileged. An overwhelming sense of privilege. They can't believe it. Now all of us want to be in a Bullingdon type club, isn't it? Privileged club. Well, the church is, is more than that. It's special. People want to be part of clubs, don't they? But the church... It's special. It's nothing like any other club. This is a club created by God himself, isn't it? Everyone in society is running after some club. But the church is not a club like any, even the ones for the upper class. This is an amazing club created by God himself. This is a new community. And what a privilege it is to have Jesus said, Be my spokesperson. What an amazing privilege to make God known to people, to be chosen by God himself. Now, now, many of us don't see it that way often. We forget that, don't we? We know God is amazing, but we forget. We forget what a privilege we have just to know Jesus. You know, child psychologists say that if you show new babies a toy and then remove it from their sight... Uh, they do not realize that the toy still exists. Did you know that? You show them a toy, then you remove it from them, they don't realize it still exists. And as I thought about that, as adults, we're a bit like that. Our life for us often, it is out of sight, out of mind. Sometimes we forget who Jesus is, unless perhaps we are in church on Sunday. And we hear the name Jesus. Yeah, sometimes we are work. We hear the name Jesus, yeah. We remember him and say, oh, what a wonderful God we have. Then, of course, Monday comes, problems come, we've got other things going on in our lives. And Jesus is sort of becomes clouded from our minds, isn't it? Other things take priority. We forget who Jesus is, and therefore, during the week, we don't feel a privilege of sharing the gospel with others. So let me remind you from the words of Clement of Alexandra. I love the church father, Clement of Alexandra. And he has a few things to say about Jesus that just warms my heart when I read them. When Clement of Alexandra thought about Jesus, look how he thought. He called Jesus, Christ is the Lord of the elect. The immortal logos of God the Father. The prince of wisdom. Strength of the weary. Joy without end. He is the savior of the human race. He is our shepherd, protector, guide, and leader. He is the fisher of man. He has come to draw us out from the sea of sin and carry us along to the life of the blessed. He is the holy one, the reigning king over his redeemed. He is the road to heaven. He is the infinite time and immortal light. He is the fountain of mercy and the source of goodness. Christ is the incomparable prize of those who worship the Most High. 
And I think Clement of Alexandria could have gone on and on and on. He's that type of guy about Jesus. He just couldn't get enough of Jesus. And this is the Jesus who sends us out to share him with the world. What a glorious privilege to be sent personally by the immortal logos of God the Father. Friends, you see, without comprehending how wonderful the eternal God is, we will only trivialize what it means to share Jesus. But it's not just that. We will lack a true passion. Where does the passion to share Jesus come from? Here. To know that Jesus is my shepherd, my protector, my guide, my leader, the fisher of men. That's where it comes from. And so, I can't tell you go and share Jesus tomorrow. No. What I have to tell you is that go before the Father. Ask the Lord to open your eyes to see how wondrous Jesus is. Set aside time this week just to meditate perhaps on a passage like Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. He's the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him and through him all things were made. A passage like that. That would then fuel your heart to share Jesus. And then after you've meditated about that, ask God to show you even more glory of Jesus. Ask God to give you the new opportunity to start sharing Jesus with new excitement for him. Because I think no matter, as we go through this and we read Acts the disciples were excited about Christ. And we see this through our church history. You read Max, I'm reading through Maxine's biography. It's just the stuff pouring out. Oh, just how much he loves Christ, how much Christ means to him. And that's what propelled him to share, to share Christ. You see, most of the time we do not share Jesus because we forget who he is. And as a result, we feel out of depth. We think it depends on us. Well, it does not. The power of Jesus is always on hand. And that is our final observation this evening. The first truth, uh, beloved, is that God is creating a new community in Jesus. What's the purpose of this community? Well, it's a community that shares Jesus. That's our second point. How do we do this? Well, it's a community now empowered by Jesus. Empowered by Jesus. We don't do it in our strength. We do it in the strength that Jesus provides. Let's look at this again. We see the 12 disciples. They are being sent out, aren't they? To preach. And Jesus endows them with power. Look at verse 15 there. Verse 14 says this. And he might send them out to preach and do what? And have authority to cast out demons. Jesus is giving them new power to confront the evil spirits and cast them out. Why has Jesus given them this new power? Well, for many reasons. I think we could be here the whole day. But one reason is to help them just with evangelism. Exorcism, so to speak, driving out demons, always sat side by side in Jesus' ministry with preaching the word. So it's just for evangelism. And for the disciples... 
It's good for them to have this power to cast out demons because when people see them casting out demons, they remember, ah, <laughs> these guys do not belong to Elias and the exorcist. They belong to Jesus. Look how they're doing it. It's so different. So just looking at them, people will see as they cast out these demons that they're different. They belong to Christ. Supernatural power is at work in them. And as people see that, they will listen to their message. The other reason, and I think is a more direct one, I think, is that Jesus has given them this power to protect them from Satan's attacks. Jesus is making it clear here that when they share his message, because he's accompanying them, there will be a demonic reaction. Evil forces will oppose his work. Friends, be clear that Satan will attack you if you love sharing Jesus with others. When you share Jesus, come to God and say, Lord, my purpose now is to share Jesus. Okay, just tell him that, Jesus, I want to share you, I want to use every opportunity to share you. That's now my life's passion. The moment you do that, Satan takes notice. You are now beginning to poke him in the eye. And as you poke him in the eye, he hates it. Now, of course, some of us don't see that pushback because, frankly, we are not, don't have that purposefulness that the disciples are having here. But if you have that, you tell the Lord you want to share him and use every opportunity to share him. At the same time, you're declaring war against Satan. And he hates it. I know this just from talking to pastoral friends. If I told you last month how many pastors and challenges they are having, I mean, we'll be here the whole night. From, from demonic discouragements to sick, constant sickness all of a sudden, unexplained, just very difficult things that they never experienced before. Because, you see, they have declared that they are now about sharing Jesus. And Jesus here is saying to them, to the, to the, to the disciples and us, he's saying, look, Satan, though, may turn up and try to arrest you as you preach, but be assured, I am with you. My power is resting on you. That's why he's given them this power, to have authority to cast out demons. It's reminding them that they are not alone there. I mean, if you imagine Peter going into a synagogue and being confronted like, like, like the Lord was, with that demoniac in Mark chapter 1. I mean, if you don't have the Lord's power, you just be scared. But Jesus is saying, you are not alone. I'm with you. And that's the same for us, isn't it? If you are in Jesus, you are in union with God. And when you share the good news with his power and pray for people, sinners will be set free from Satan. They will. Because the the gospel is the power of God and to salvation. And as it's shared with the power of Christ, sinners will be set free. And of course we should note here as a point that it is not always everyday ministry, isn't it, to cast out demons. But there's no doubt in my mind as I read this text that the Lord here implies that even today we would have the same power to do that. Yes, it's not everyday ministry, but in exceptional times when you are confronted by demons, you must resist directly. And yes, cast out demons in his name. We'll explore that more fully 
on Thursdays, of course, as we continue our Bible studies. But the main point here is that we are a new community of God in Jesus who have received new power from the Spirit to share Jesus to the world. And this should encourage us, isn't it, as a fellowship here this evening. As we'll see next week, these disciples, like all of us, have a lot of baggage. I mean, they have a lot of baggage. But it's so encouraging here, isn't it, that what defines them and us is that they are now a new community of God in Jesus. And because they are in Jesus, they have a great future in Him. And this is true for us as a small fellowship here in Bethlehem. Uh, we will always face challenges as a church, and, and you will always face challenges as an individual. Why? Because we are saved sinners in a broken world. But the good news of the gospel is that the reality is that we are God's new community. And therefore, we will always be a human billboard of glory that always proclaims Jesus to a dying world. We will always be endowed with power. Whatever situation we face, whether it's a church member struggling, whether we are walking into some home down the road that's just broken, or we are speaking to young kids, we will always have hope that Jesus' power can break the chains of sin. And that we are his agent for change in the world. And beloved, this is not just theory, isn't it? We see this evidence of this new community of God in action among us. As we grow together in Jesus, even here in this fellowship. Uh, We saw it this afternoon, isn't it? We saw the new community as we gathered for the Lord's table. As we broke bread with one another and shared the unity we have in Christ. Uh, We see it as we gather for prayer on Saturday mornings. We see it as we open our homes and share a meal and laugh with other followers of Jesus from a totally different background than us. And the only thing we share is Jesus. But for Christ, they would never enter our home. But as they enter our home, we see we are part of a new community in Christ. So we enter their home. We see it when we are out there in Broadway sharing Jesus with other churches. We recognize we are brothers and sisters who we share Christ with. We see it as we minister to children on Thursdays with moms and tots, and as, as we see as we speak the word of God to them, we see it as we minister to children on Sunday. That's God's new community in action. We see it in our church here as people repent of their sins and are baptized. And we rejoice because we realize this movement that started with these 12 men now is seeing souls being saved and added to its number even in our fellowship. And we see it as we labor with grace for those who are really struggling with us. Why are we caring about some of the people in the fellowship that are really in difficult situation? Because we love them in Christ. They too are part of this new community in Christ. You see, these and many other things are part of God's community in action. And this is why all of our fellowship gatherings must always be full of joy, full of hope. Full of thankfulness. Why the thankfulness? Because it's a privilege. It is a privilege to be part of this move of God. This new community of God. 
And, and, but not just thankfulness, it should fill us with a new desire and prayer to be used by God to make this new community grow and abound even more. As we realize that, wow, we are part of something so amazing. It makes me want to say, Lord, use me even more. Contribute even more in all my weaknesses. What a joy to be part of this amazing community of God. A community that began with 12 men here in this passage and is now transforming the world around us. All the way, where are we headed? The new heavens and the new earth. That's our destination. A new community created by God in Jesus. A new community that shares Jesus. And a new community empowered by Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.